I'm going to start by telling everybody, thank you so much for all of your prayers when it came to dealing with my mom. So I'm not, what's the right words to say? I'm not always keen on telling everybody what's going on and asking for prayer because there's so much going on. We were praying for Gail's husband, right? I mean, some of you know or may not know about Monica and her ankle. She had some surgery on that. I mean, there's just lots of illnesses going on. I mean, like Carmen, I mean, they're just going on and on and on. And so anyhow, I, f- I first reached out to the Sparrow clan because that's who I talked to the most. And then I appreciated Vicky spreading along. So we had lots of prayer. There's tons of things that happened all that time when I was there with my mom. And, and I appreciate beyond words how God helped me see things as I was walking through this. And I think the only time that I got, what I'm going to say is anxious, was was um, right before she went in to have the procedure to unblock her heart. In case you didn't know, she had a heart, a blockage in her heart. They couldn't see it. It was on the backside of the heart. So they couldn't see it. So um, this has been ongoing for several days, 24th of January. But I think it was earlier than that, but still somewhere around there. So it's just been difficult for her. And she's had a hard time breathing, da 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 da, because she gets winded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I appreciate that the Lord was showing me how things were, were really happening. And, and that I asked, or that I didn't ask, and I just listened, which sometimes is a good thing, because then my, my questions sometimes to the Lord are a little slanted. You know, is she going to die? Is she going to live? I never asked that question. I'm just saying, those are the kinds of things. I don't even want my brain to go there. I just want God to tell me. And I don't know how y'all's brains work, but if I start thinking things and then start asking God what I'm thinking, sometimes I think I miss what he's doing because my brain's over here and he's saying this over here. And I'm like, what? I just want him to speak. And I think we all do want that same thing. We don't want our mind to get in the way. We don't want to ask questions that are irrelevant, even if they seem really important to me. And not that he wouldn't answer them. I'm just saying it just gets my brain Enmity? Oh, yes, the enmity, yes, right, gotcha. <laughs> you said relationship. I'm like, I thought enmity was not good. Spirit, yeah, and you're not talking to the microphone, but I'm not going to tell anybody that. I think you said sorry, Shelly. Okay, so uh, as I went into the, the pre-op, because I didn't even know I was going to get to go that far. Because every time mom wins somewhere, she goes, well, they're not going to let you in. They're not going to let you in. Well, they're not going to let you in. She said that at least four times. They let me in. <laughs> like, all right, we're going this way. And I'm, okay, I know. So we're going to go into the pre-op and the doors whip open. And you walk in and there's all these people that turn and stare at you. And, you know, there's a little room and there's like a bunch of nurses buzzing around doing what they need to do. As I went in and the door opened and went in, I just knew. I just could feel all all the prayers. Sometimes you can't feel or see or hear all the prayers, but all the prayers that had been lifted up on, on behalf of my mom because of who I am. And you don't always think about that, but I'm like, this is, this is going to be, everything's going to be fine. Nope, I got. I know you guys know me that most of the time I'm the humor person. So I'm doing the humor person with my mom and all that. And this girl walks in. She says, are you two related? And I, <laughs> I looked at my mom and I waited for her to respond. And my mom like hesitated. <laughs> what does that mean, mother? She said, She's my daughter. She said it like that. I'm like, I'm her missing tail. I'm, I'm the Eeyore missing tail. She's my daughter. And the lady goes, you do look alike. And I'm just, <laughs> but that's how it went. I'm just telling you, the Lord was there. No, she's adopted. <laughs> Wish I thought for the longest time till I saw a picture of her. And then I knew, no. So, um, there was a lot of gers and a lot of yays all that time. But the thing that was so cool is, I know you guys remember, silly me, two weeks ago when I talked about the curveballs. Do you guys remember that? 
And how are we going to be when you get the curveball? We're paying attention. Yeah, me and my big mouth. Because there, there, there are a lot of us have been in the last two weeks. Some kind of calamity, a crisis, a, something we didn't expect. And I did not expect this to be an issue with my mom. But, you know, when you're in the hospital and mom starts talking about things, you're like, what? Well, do you have a heart disease in your family? Yes. Um, my dad died from a heart attack. Um, um, no, my mom died from cancer. Um, my two brothers died from a heart attack. I'm a, I don't think I remember all that. I didn't know my grandfather died from a heart attack. That's number one. But I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom's just going, yes, my mom's got a heart disease issue. Because I didn't know all that. So this is why it was unexpected. So all of that to say that no matter what, God fulfilled his scriptures. He fulfilled the teaching two weeks ago for me and what was going on. I know they say you do and then you teach. Well, I might have been a doing and a teaching and then doing again. And that's just, that's just life. Um, so as I was driving home one of the nights, going back and forth for the hospital, I was listening to the radio, to the Christian station that I could get. There's like two down there that I can get in Jupiter. And one of them, it's the guy was on the radio and he was talking about the unfailing love of God. And I was listening to him and he was struggling to define love. What is love? Love is God. God is love. Well, that doesn't help a lot of people that might be really listening to this and going, what does that mean? I mean, we know what it means. It's his passionate purpose for us, towards us, for us. But he kept stumbling around, and, but he got the unfailing part right. You know, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't not work. It always works. It's not something that will ever fail. And I thought, so cool. And he was just rattling off scriptures. So when I got home, I started looking up unfailing love. It's not in the King James that way. It's in the King James as loving kindness. So I was like, what? So I'm like, now I got to make this connection. Why do they call it unfailing love? I don't even know why they call it loving kindness. But the first thing you have to do on your sheet, though, is spell said right. Because I spelled it wrong. Under loving kindness, Kim make a note. Under loving kindness, it says said It's just one S, not two. So Kim will properly fix that. And she'll email it to Lisa, and it will get uploaded to the website. <laughs> so, sorry. But when you look at the definition of hased in, in the scripture, in, sorry, in the concordance, the definition says, and now I've got to get to my next page. Oh, it's on your paper. Why am I saying that? It's on your paper, isn't it? It says the word oh, used to speak of the way God releases his purposeful directives and strategies. That's what I got, not I got, but that's what the definition is from a pneumatico standpoint. But the actual, the actual definition says kindness by implication towards God, piety, rarely by, oh, I don't think I put that in there. Um, goodness, kindness, faithfulness. So I see how... The King James, I mean the new NIV, I think it's the one the guy was reading out of, said unfailing love. Faithfulness. These talk about faithfulness frequently here. This is great. But it's like what you know when you're going through things. You absolutely know that this is what God's doing. There's, it's something that you can stand on. It's a firm word. There are people in your life that tell you something. And, and what do we say? You know, you can take that to the bank. You can, you can deposit that into your account. It's, it's a done deal. And that's what unfailing love, loving kindness, mercy, that's the behind-the-scenes definition. If you think about what the Thank word you. faith means, yes, and then you put in the faithfulness, it's really a devotion to what's released at the right hand. That's, so God is yes. always going to prove true by what he releases at the yeah. right hand. It's never going to be not like you said. Right. It's yes and amen. That's right. And <laughs> that's the, you're such a good person. I love you. Because you just remind stuff. There's my notes. I appreciate it. But does that not give you a different feel for the word mercy? 
does not make you change a little bit of what you've been thinking, or at least for me. You know, you think mercy is the, the unfavored, oh, the Lord's going to bend down, and blah, 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 whatever you want to say. And it's so much more than that. It's, it is the hearing something at the right hand, which is what we talk about in, in the concept of faith. But in, in this case, it's, it's hearing a, a word that's going to move you forward, and we can say it in grace. It's that strategy or a directive that the Lord gives you that's completely filled with his purpose. Ergo, it will not return void. It will not become nothing. It will be. And that just makes things change for me. You know, I don't know. I would tell you, loving kindness in the scripture, this H2617, I put this up here. There are hundreds, 200 and something scriptures that use this word. I can't even begin to try to study the whole thing. This is like if Mark was here, I'd say, Mark, write a book <laughs> because it's, it's amazing. And, and it's it just, that's all I'm going to say. It's just amazing. So as Vicki said, these promises are yes and amen. And especially when they come from the right hand of God, and especially when they are part of his purpose that he's speaking of, his direction and his strategies. One of the things that you look, if you look in the uh, line by line book and look at mercy seat, this word mercy is, is related to the concept of a mercy seat. And I actually had to call Vicki last night and said, um, I need some help. And then I forgot how things worked, right? In the Old Testament, the mercy seat, that was the place that Moses went and received a word, the words from God, the direction to do or go wherever Israel was supposed to do or go. And I don't think I remember that. I know it's where they do the sprinkling of the blood for the Day of Atonement. Vicki's thinking, trying to put that together. Go ahead. The mercy seat was for the high priest. So that would be Aaron that actually went into the tabernacle. So okay. I would presume that Moses got his directive at the spiritual mercy seat. Like when he went up on the mountain, there may not have been a tangible mercy seat, but heaven had come down to earth. Mm -hmm. And so that he was meeting with God. And so he was getting his directive in the same place. It just wasn't a physical entity. And we're going to talk about one of those things. Um, he'd always seemed to be always before the Lord. Moses, something I definitely need to do as always be before the Lord. Okay, so what else did I write down here? First scripture that we have is found in Genesis. This is the first occurrence of the word mercy or loving kindness or kindness because it's translated several different things in there. Um, and I hopefully highlighted exactly the word. In, Lot, in Genesis 19, we're in the midst of the Abraham and Lot situation. <clears throat> Abraham went one way, Lot went the other way, and now Lot's in Sodom and Gomorrah. Things are about to get real. And because of, I'm saying this, I think, I think it's a, a good a connection we can actually make. Because of Abraham's intercession on behalf of Lot and the city, but because he even said, if you can even find this, you can find... I, I believe that Lot was given another opportunity. Because I don't know, you know, he went that way because it looked like it was better, like it had more resources, that it had more good stuff. Like, you know, it's like, I'm going to get the, the penthouse suite or I'm going to get a regular room in a hotel. He went for the penthouse suite because he believed it was going to be more. I, that's... Go ahead, Vicki. Or require less investment. Less of an, right. Easier. Yeah. And so um, here this, this opportunity came, and it's not because, you know, I don't, I don't know the circle. Let, let me just stop there. Let me just keep going. Let's read this scripture, and then we'll talk some more. Genesis 19, 14 through 22. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, up, get you out of this place, 
for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one. Wow. But he seemed, I can't read. I need to get my eyes checked. That would be great. Who wants to read it for me? Adrian does. Thank you, Adrian. Please read this for me. Yeah, don't sit next to your mom if you don't be volunteered. Go. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons, oh, that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O oh, not so, my Lord, behold now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold now, the city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. O oh, let me escape thither, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Way to go with the thithers. That was awesome. It's easy to say. <clears throat> I don't know how many times I've read this and talked about the story with people. Oh, remember Lot? No, he, he did. And pillar of salt. Everyone likes to talk about that stuff. But what's going on? It's it's more it's more than we know. So that's what we that's what I was we're looking at is this first occurrence where Lot had an understanding in verse nineteen of what God could do and what God was trying to do, because He says, "Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight." And thou hast magnified thy mercy. You have magnified this directive, this strategy to me, which is filled with purpose. And I, I know it. I'm saying that because you wrote it down. I mean, God inspired, but he, he wrote that down. And so you think that he would just be like, I'm out of here. Let's go. But he didn't. What had to happen? Angels had to come and take him by the hand. And take his wife by the hand and take his daughters by the hand because apparently his son-in-laws were like, mm, whatever, dude. And all of this was occurring. And Lot still had, even with whatever thing he did, not really investing, taking what my, some people might call the easy way out, however you would like to describe it, Lot still had a purpose. His life was still filled with the purpose of God. And I don't think I ever think about that. I just think, you know, it's like, just get rid of the bum, you know, it's okay. But, you know, it's obvious when he was in the city that it was like, a, you know, fish out of water. It just, but he didn't recognize it. He was just caught up in the world stuff. So when the angels came and they talked to him, because, you know, before this, the angels come into the city, and they're, they're like men, da 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 all this, is, all this is occurring, and then they come back and say, hey, dude, out now. Get out now. This is urgent. This is, this is a now word. Move it, or you're definitely going to lose it. And so even after they sell these things, his response is, is kind of interesting, and that's like, hmm, I have to tell you, wrestling with our... The my sword on here, and I figured it out, Vicky. The my sword on our phones, it's it's too much to put every single word into the phone in, because of how the capacity. So when it says stuff that we couldn't find, right? Like, um, oh, not so, my lord. So, not may be in there, which we found in our desktop. 
in the lexicon. So, but not in the MySword because to the person that's creating this and putting it on a phone so that it can work, it's it's not. It's not. I don't need to show you the word. That I can't answer. Mm -hmm. I and I think I think that's what it is. It's got to be a. I believe it's got to be a capacity. They can yeah. They condense it because okay, not means not. All right, so you know that all all to say, as you study the word, make sure you look in more than one place. How about that? That sounds like a good one. So Lot makes this statement: "Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy." So the word "magnified" means he made it large. He made it made it to be known. It's, this is, you know, this is a big deal. This is not something small and minor. Your purpose, to me, God was stating to Lot, your purpose is bigger than you think. And he wrote that down because he knew that it was bigger than Lot than he was thinking. What's going on is huge. What I'm doing and what I'm telling you, the direction I'm giving you, it's a now directive. It's a now strategy Let's go. And it's and it, because of the purpose God had for what's happening there, but it's also the purpose that God had for Lot's life. That's how I took it. Well, obviously, Lot, um, because of where he was when the angels came, he was in the city gate. That speaks of a judgment place. Uh, and he had a lot invested in, his, in that community, even though it was totally corrupt. He, he still held a position of authority, respect. Uh, what he said had weight because I believe of what you were saying that, that he still had purpose. He had a gifting of wisdom that God had obviously brought to him. Um, and, and, you know, it overshadowed all the wisdom of the city because the city was totally involved in, in satanic influence. Mm -hmm. So what he said uh, was ringing so true with the justice of God, and they could count on him. So uh, when when uh, when he was called to leave, he was he was really having to give up everything that he had worked for, that he had uh, aspired to be, that he had gained, and, and so uh, it puts a new light on his desire to go to this other little city because he saw that as a new fresh start where he could still be uh, in that place of authority. He could still have that effect of, of what, you know, um, was, was to uh, cause him to reestablish himself, whereas the mountain represented uh, a wilderness, and that's what he shunned. He didn't want the wilderness. He didn't want to raise cattle. He didn't want to <laughs> raise goats. He, 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 right. he wanted a place where his giftings could flourish. And for him, that mountain represented a, uh, you know, no opportunity at all. So it, it was when he said, pre-venture, something would happen to me. You know, it was more like a projection of if I go there, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. See, now that's perspective I didn't see. She wants it. She wants it. <laughs> well, and that makes sense because you you look at the whole back and forth mm -hmm. and the angel says, the angel Lord says, I cannot do this thing until you go, the, until you get there. Yeah. So he wasn't going to destroy what, he, the, what the judgment wasn't coming until he got to the mountain. So it wasn't the fact of his escape. He, he said that, mm -hmm. but I think it's what Dad was saying is he saw that Zoar was a place he could actually flourish while the wilderness looked barren. And he's like, I came from that. That's why I rejected that in the first place. I don't want Ain't doing it. <laughs> I don't want to go out there, you know? And so it wasn't necessarily, Oh, we're not going to make it. You know, he, it was like a self-preservation mm -hmm. instead of continuing to rely on God to, for the new thing, for what he wanted to birth in the wilderness. He was choosing again, the easy thing. It was like, well, what about this little town? It's super tiny. 
it's, nope, isn't it's insig- it? insignificant. It's, it's really, yeah, it doesn't really <laughs> affect anything. But he knew, because that was the pattern he had established in Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. that he could sustain that in Zoar instead of going to the mountain. Yeah. Which is a lot what Israel did a lot. They rejected the mountain in lieu of the easy thing. Yep. I mean, and it's very clear, you know, go to the mountain. Don't go anywhere in the plain. Don't go anywhere around here. And Vicki, you looked it up and you said Zoar is like five miles away from Sodom and Gomorrah. That's it. Darn close. Darn close, especially for fire and brimstone from heaven. I'm thinking there could be, yeah, there could be some friendly fire. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, like this place didn't exist when God did, got done with it. It was just, it's not like there were ruins. There was nothing left. Yeah. They can't find Sodom and Gomorrah today. They have no idea it was <laughs> wiped off the earth. <laughs> so God was very serious about it. It's, and yet, like I said, in the midst of all of this, Lot understood, knew. Maybe he, I don't know, not totally embracing it, whatever the right words are. But what we can see too is that there's still a purpose for Lot. Well, you think he he understood the principles of God? I think so, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, who in their right mind would chooses wilderness? I mean, let's face it. We know the benefits of the wilderness, but honestly, if God was going to present before you, you have this choice here or this choice here, and the wilderness, it's going to be the worst of everything that you've ever didn't want to face, but in the midst of it, there's life. I mean, but you've got to go through all of the. I mean, who in their right mind chooses that, really? You know, it, it's got to be because the spirit within you is such a strong driving force mm-hmm. that you go for that. I mean, I cut him some slack because I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. you know, given the situation, any of us from at one point, maybe not now, but I don't even know now. I mean, if you had to choose whether to go through a point where you were, your, your loved one was facing death in order for something to be born, would you, would you choose that? I know lots of people that would not, not in this house, but I know lots of people that love the Lord that would not. I'm thankful God doesn't tell us what the circumstances are. He just says, just be faithful to me. Exactly. (laughs) And I think, I mean, to me, that's, that's where we're at. We really understand the mercies of God. We're really, we, we, we get it. I'm not saying we're perfect in it, but we get it because he gives us, he gives us direction. He gives us strategy. And and he's at the point with, in our relationship with him, I'm saying this for everybody that's here, that we're going to do, do what he tells us to do. That's why he keeps telling us. That's why we keep getting this revelation. Remember, that's why the whole stuff we were talking about two weeks ago, the revelation is, keeps coming. And as long as it keeps coming, so will the challenges. So will the curveballs. So are the places where we have to stand firm. It's not, it's not going to let up. It doesn't matter. And we're to a point, most of us, all the time, some of us, most of the time, <laughs> we're to a point where we know there's a purpose. I don't like it, but there's a purpose. Well, I was just thinking, if we're not thinking of ourselves as active duty soldiers in an active army, mm-hmm. then we've got the wrong frame of mind. Right. We do. Because we're in war. And war is never an easy thing. I can't speak personally about it, but I just know from what I've seen and the some of the heartache that comes out of it, you know, but also what's necessary in order to take dominion. Exactly. So it's it's going to it's going to look icky and feel icky and whatever, but that's not the focus. The focus is the mission. Icky is such a nice word. Yeah. But the, the focus is always the mission to advance. Yep. And you just have to keep moving. And that's, that's where the great grace comes in. That's where knowing who you are comes in. That's where having purpose and understanding that comes in. And that's one of those things that I, I was trying to talk to my mom some about when, when we were there. Because I think she had a momentary moment <laughs> of... Wow, I'm not I'm not going to live forever. And then she started thinking, I don't want to I don't want to 
she's talking, thinking about the other people that have passed away in my life, in her life. She doesn't want to, she doesn't want that to happen to her. And I, I get it because I don't want that to happen to her either or me. And I had to keep changing my frame of reference. That's not what the Lord wants me to focus on. He wants me to focus on what's the purpose of what's happening right now. Even with my mom, even if she doesn't understand it. And so even when I was reading this stuff about Lot, I thought, wow, you know, he did have some understanding. And I told my mom we were all praying for her. And she's like, man, that's great. There had been a time where my mom would have said, whatever, I don't want to hear it. Talk to you later, whatever. So different. No atheists in foxholes. It's true. And the thing, and that's, I'm still good. At 86, that's how old my mom is. She still can contribute to the kingdom of God and be a part of the saints network. I don't, I don't care. I don't care what it looks like. All I care is that's happening. And on top of that, let's throw my brother in there. Whoop. So I talked to him. How's mom doing? Mom's doing good. I'm not doing good. What's going on, bro? And he, he's just stressed out. He's stressed beyond words. That all stress kills. Let's look at the next scripture. In Exodus 20, 1 through 6, believe it or not, in the midst of the Ten Commandments, God talks to, speaks to, and tells Moses about his mercy. And now when you think about just, like I said, just take that word mercy, you're like, whoa, that's just how God is kind to us. And he overlooks things. Uh, no, this is that word mercy has said. This is that, that word where he's speaking in the midst of all of the giving of the commandments, and especially where it's located in the commandments, he's speaking a, a strategy. He's speaking a directive for the people, for us, for the, the nation of Israel, for the sons of God. It says, and God spake all these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, and that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them or serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy, that's our word, unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Is that you? Do you love God in the right, the right definition of love? Are you receiving that passionate purpose that he gives you in every aspect of your life? Because it just doesn't do it once. It's like, okay, here's one, squeeze out all it. Yeah, okay, I'm done. It, it is an ongoing relationship we have with him, obviously. So it's an ongoing revealing of purpose in your life. And in, in every, again, in every aspect, whether you're doing a mission for him specifically, meaning he says go and you do, or are you just doing a mission as in being who God called you to be in, in each part of your life? Do we love him and are we shamaring, shamar his commandments? Are we guarding over his commandments? And they're listing these guys here, right? I know it says there's 10 or you can look at it and make out 10. I don't know. The commandments of the Lord. What commandments has he given you? So, uh, uh, Okay, some things in here that I thought were interesting, but I'm not sure we need to really go into them. But thou shalt have no other gods before me. For some reason, that just really caught my attention because that gods, little g, they put in English, which is great because it's Elohim. What that means is, obviously, what, what has your heart? Because that's a God that you put before my face. I mean, you say that like that, and you're like, I would never do such a thing as that. Well, okay, but what has grabbed your heart? Because Elohim, and this is the same thing. It's whatever, that God, that, that relationship between your heart and that God. 
So don't have any of those before me. Don't even present them. Don't even, wow, a different, little bit different perspective. The other part that I thought was interesting in here is that graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. I immediately, as a Floridian, I think of the water table under the earth in Florida. But it's pretty much covering everything. Go, Vicky. I think about those demonic outposts that are in that have absconded points of glory under the water. You know what Pastor Ron's talked about before, like off of the coast of Africa. Okay. In different places. Yeah. That the demons are at work there, so people anywhere there's a demon, there's a place to have an idol. That is so true. Oh my goodness, so true. Okay. So then we do the second time, right? Because the first time he came down with the 15, no, the 10 commandments, and then he threw them all down, you know, all that. And then in, in Exodus 34, 6 through 8, we're saying it all over again. But here I think interesting too is it, it, you would think it'd be almost the identical message. And it is almost the identical message. But what's interesting is there's a little bit more that God's speaking forth. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed Talking to, to talking about Moses and he's passing by. So my head goes into the, he's passing by, you know, voice fades as he goes by. I kind of doubt that was true. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Keep in mercy, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. And that will be by no means clear the, uh, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So this is the second time he gives the commandments. And again, a little more emphasis from the Lord. We don't need to go over all these words, but you guys can absolutely study it. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and trans. Keeping mercy for thousands, basically, that love me and, and follow my commandments. That verbiage, those, those kinds of words, it's like it was spoken up above about the thousands, right? It was spoken up above. You know, thousands gives me encouragement that there's a lot more people out there who love the Lord and are keeping his commandments. That's kind of cool. I don't want to become like Elijah. There's no one with me. I'm all by myself. No, there's thousands with you. You're not all by yourself besides the great cloud of witnesses, right? So um, keeping mercy for thousands. So here is God. When he says that, the word keeping is not shamar. It's another a word like that that we also know. It's natsar which means to guard or to watch. So the Lord is watching, keeping mercies because he knows there's purpose still to be released in the earth and in the spirit. There's purpose that still needs to be given to those that love him and that follow his commandments. That's what he's telling. That's what he's telling us. That's what he said to Moses. Go ahead. I think it's important to note, too, that he's when he's offering the eternal plan of God, the eternal plan of God's heart yes. is offering these things. And one of these things is that goodness, those directives and strategies. And he's saying there are more than enough, more than enough for you to be able to function in and to partner with me in and to serve my will in. Mm -hmm. This, this abundance of them. It is. And, you know, you think about things that God put in motion for us as a saints network for starters, right? We were supposed to go to India. Did that mean that we heard wrong? Did we hear incorrectly? Because I haven't been to India. I still have a, a visa that says I can go for two more years. No, it's going to be fulfilled. Like I said, it's not going to return void. That's the thing. It's like, again, you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. 
It also might not happen the way I think it's going to happen either. So that's just the way God works. But we stand firm on the mercies of the Lord. We don't, we don't budge from that place. Again, it doesn't matter what it looks like in the natural. And there's lots of things going on that are trying to distract you from what God said to what do you see? What, what do I see? What am I seeing? Don't let it happen. Next scripture, Nehemiah. I like Nehemiah. I always think it's cool that he got to build a wall around Jerusalem, around a city. Let's go build a wall. I mean, they use that in all kinds of stuff. But anyhow, in Nehemiah chapter 1, so this is the very beginning, Nehemiah <clears throat> gets news about what's happening in, in Jerusalem to the people that are still there. I say still there because he wasn't there. He was somewhere else doing, doing what he needed to do. And so it says, and it, and it came to pass when I heard these words, when Nehemiah heard these words that were being relayed to him from one of these guys that was, that was one of his friends, I'll say it's friends, and said, oh, the people that are living there are afflicted. The people that are living there are dealing with reproach left and right. And the, the wall is gone. The wall, not, I didn't say gone, but lots of it's been destroyed and broken down. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing really there. When that guy spoke those things, Nehemiah, I think, not only was bothered in the physical realm that that was going on, but he realized that in the, nat in the supernatural, there's some stuff that needed to happen. It needed to happen now. It's like um, a wake-up call for the nation of Israel in, in, that, were, that was in, in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was sounding the alarm. Not yet, but he was going to. So he got up, obviously he got upset because it says that he sat down and wept and mourned for how many days and fasted and he prayed. And that word pray, prayed is the word palah. And it means that you, you sit down, you discern, I say sit down, you discern and make a distinction between what's happening, what's real, what, and for us, it's what we see, to me, I say, what I see in the natural compared to what's happening and I see in the, in the supernatural. We always have to look that way. It's like when I used to read poems, and I've told you this before, there's, a, the, there's what the poem says on the surface, and then there's the rest of the meaning. There's two paths that get to the, to the total understanding of what's happening. And we, we know that stuff that manifests in the natural is also something that's garnering in the spiritual. It's, it's, it's beginning. It's, it's here. See this. Look there. That's why we always need to do that. Disaster. Okay, great. What's going on in the spirit? Go, Vic. And it's, it's, it's kind of like prosuke. So you're, you're praying and you're discerning what God is doing, mm -hmm. you know, and then you're declaring it. Yeah. And so... He starts out praying, which is a great way to do anything, this palal. And he said, I beseech thee, Jehovah Elohim of heaven, the great and terrible God, not really terrible, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Oh, wait, didn't I see this before? Oh, yeah. I mean, I found at least five scriptures in the Old Testament that, that use the same exact words that are being repeated and I mean, to me, like, wait, I want to love God and obey. What will happen if I do? All right, how about this? How about this? How about this? You find that throughout the Old Testament. And it's like, don't tell me the Old Testament's irre irrelevant. It is not irrelevant. It is very much a part of our foundation. It's very much a part of what we stand on. Um, and, he, and he goes on talking to the Lord, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer. That's a different word of the servant, of thy servant. That's tefillah, I think I'm saying that right, of thy servant. And I pray, and that's palal again, before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. This is how Nehemiah starts out his mission. This is how he understands that there's, there's something to be done. So there's a purpose going on. 
I'm, I'm going to palal what I see is going on, and I'm going to start with confessing sins. I'm going to start with where we've missed the mark. And here we go, because we're going we're gonna to right this ship, so to speak. We're going to build that wall. And it was, again, more than a physical wall. We're going to build back what God had always intended for the nation of Israel, what God had always intended. Whether it's in Jerusalem or whatever, I'd, God's intention for us is to be surrounded by him, by his ways, by his thoughts, and functioning in that each and every step of the way. And Nehemiah, cool dude that he is, this is what he said. I mean, the walls have been broken down. The gates have been burned. This is, wow, in the spirit, this is so much more than just a wall around Jerusalem and, and gates so people can go in and out. Go, Vicki. It's interesting because they've been talking about this, um, Pastor Ron and Monica both, about that terrible God is is recognizing that as the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, that part of God that we are to tremble, you know, and, and really revere. But he's recognizes him as one that is guarding over not only the covenant, that place that that place or that mission or even that identity that God's created for us to partner with, but also the directives and the strategy that are going to be applied in all of those places. Yeah. I think it's interesting. And as you look at this whole verse, you realize the bigger picture was that this was brought on by God to judge Israel because of you know all the crazy things that they were doing at the particular time and but it it is a multifaceted plan of God mm-hmm. that that brought about this timing um, yeah how could how could there be a restoration of of Jerusalem unless there was some sort of financial backing some sort of uh, physical protection uh, you know, we know the story where he went back with letters because of, of purpose and of permission because the kingdoms around Jerusalem didn't like it. You know, they were going back, say, hey, oh, what's yeah. going on? Why are you letting this happen? You know, right. and uh, they were benefiting from the ruin of Jerusalem. And now it's to be built back as, a, as something that was significant. And, and so this was all God's plan to bring this restoration to that Nehemiah could be that one to present the case and then institute the, the work uh, with power, with finances, with provision. And so the, the job was able to be finished and and it wasn't something that like, Oh, well we started, but we got run off. Uh, It was something that was going to be finished because it was God's plan. Right. And and that speaks so much to how we have to view where we are and, mm-hmm. you know, when there's consequences to push through those things because we know there's a plan for restoration. This is really a, a, a outline uh, when you look at in the big picture of how God plans for restoration. Right. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And and when you look at... when you. I remember what I was going to say. If you if you look at the covenant he had about that place, it was multifaceted as well mm-hmm. because Nehemiah realized he's not only still guarding over this place that in the natural eye is completely ruined and looks hopeless, but he's he's guarding over that because he had he created that place for partnership, but he also has created um the mission that he's put us on to restore it. And he's also created our identity of who we are to be the ones to partner with him to restore it. So all of that was part of his covenant. Yeah. It was a multifaceted covenant. And we know when we read through Nehemiah that that it was like, oh, Nehemiah's here. Oh, we're going to rebuild the wall. We're going to what? Okay. And they start to do that, right? And then the bad guys, the surrounding kingdoms are coming. We're going to come through the spaces that are, that are there and we're going to kill you. Now I got to hold a what? Now I got to hold a, a spear and lay bricks? Are you kidding me? 
That's a, and, and that's like what God does with us. Good morning. That's what God does with us. He's like, okay, we're going to restore the kingdom of God on the earth. Okay, now you're going to do it with a spear in your hand and keep going. And now you're going to, and that's the way, that's the way God works. That's the way he encourages us. Go ahead, Adrian. And it just kind of made me think of too, you know, our job in the temple, but even like the whole idea of the plowman overtaking the reaper. I mean, you always, there is a sowing, but you're also in your sowing, then the fruitfulness is coming. But it's like, but that requires the warfare, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like there's the victory, but you're still having to fight. You're still having to be prepared to do battle because, you know, we've established that one, you know, one of the things that's been established in recent teachings or reiterated is that God hides himself in the wilderness. That is his place of rest. And so if we're going to partner with him there, Mm -hmm. then there's that requirement to always be ready to overcome. So we always have to have our weapons of warfare ready even though we're doing that work of um, rebuilding or reestablishing, that there's still points of warfare that are required in that, you know. And like I said, it reminded me, even though the other one is different because you think of like plowing and reaping, but at the same time, it's like where one thing kind of overcomes the other, but you have to do both, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the facet that God operates with us. Yeah. And, and again, Adrian mentioning the wilderness, who wants to go to the wilderness? Well, that's where God's rest is. We do. It just, it's just, it's, it's almost like matter of fact. And I don't mean to be matter of fact about it because it's taken us many years, or me, many years to get to a point where it's like, but I don't want to. Um, those words just can't be in my mouth anymore. They just can't because God's, mercy, God's mercies are real. His purpose is real. Go ahead. Well, and two, you know, like mom mentioned earlier, that God doesn't always let us see what the wilderness is going to look like. And it's probably a good thing, but then recognizing, because sometimes maybe you can see it coming and you can say, Oh, but I don't want to. And we've gotten better about that. But then when we finally find ourselves in the midst of a situation, recognizing that that situation is the wilderness Mm -hmm. where we need to be looking for what the father's doing and not. Yeah. Yeah. So Nehemiah obviously understood about God. He understood, obviously, he understood that, that what was, what he was rebuilding had everything to do with the covenant that the Lord had with his people. Ergo, let's rebuild the wall. Let's, let's do that. And then started out in prayer, acknowledging that. And that's what the Nehemiah scripture was about. So the next scripture is about David. And this is one of those ones that just grabbed my attention, obviously, because I like Psalms, man. I don't know why, because Anyway, but I like Psalms. In Psalms 138, it says, this is a Psalm of David. I will praise thee with my whole heart. And before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward my whole, toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. There's a scripture I've been looking for for many decades related to a song, but I can't remember the song anymore. But that script, those, those, those words right there, I, I couldn't, I could never find it. Where does it say that God's word is above his name? Right, right there, Larry, right, right there. So, you know, we got our words for praise that are in here that are not all the same. I will praise Yadah with my whole heart before the gods. Remember, that's a little G, which is properly translated in my opinion, because it's Elohim, again, it's those things that, that try to grab your heart because Elohim is that God, his relationship with you, his heart to your heart, his after, he's after you, that heart thing, right? What gets in the way, whatever, that, that's the little G. That's, and he's, David's saying, I'm just going gonna, gonna to sing in their face. I'm just going to sing right at them. I'm not, they're going to know that you are my God, nothing else. Um, I will sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple. Worship is Shakah. Thank you. I'm trying to read my, you got to say it in the mic because, you know. Shakah, which is the same as proskuneo, to lay, basically to lay on your face before the Lord in total submission and devotion to what he wants to do. Yeah. 
So I will worship toward the holy temple and praise that Shaddai, thy name for thy loving kindness. David acknowledging God's loving kindness. As the, the guy said on the radio, unfailing love, which ergo means this is the place where God's going to release his directive, his strategies that are purposeful, that are purpose-filled. That's what I meant to say, isn't it, Jay? <laughs> Go ahead, Vic. The cool thing about this is how David is saying his praise, which is really looking forward, looking ahead, mm -hmm. and already discerning what those directives and strategies are. And you already, even though they haven't happened yet, you're speaking them as though they have already occurred because that's part of the faith. You've, you've heard those at the right hand and you've, you've added your own faith in with your own belief in with them and the function of the fact that you're going to declare them as true. They, they will be because you've said it and you're true. And I think it's also interesting how mercies or loving kindness is often paired up with truth. Yes. You will notice that the, the revealing of mm. fresh revelation, right. things that have been hidden. God now, they've always been there, but we haven't had the capacity to see them until he reveals them. I mean, again, this is, this is some good stuff that God's showing us. <laughs> Let's go on because, you know, we're almost done. Now we're on to Psalms 147, 1 through 11. Now, it's going to be hard trying to call out every praise here, but this is a good one to study the word. We should just th study 147 one day and find all the different words for the praise, which we've done something similar. Anyway, we'll keep going. Praise ye the Lord. The first praise is halal. Lord is Jehovah, for it is good to sing praises. Now I can't read my handwriting. Unto our God, that's Elohim. For it is pleasant. And praise is comely. That praise is Tehillah. Zamar, sorry. Okay, so it's praise halal, praises unto our God, Zamar, and praise Tehillah com is comely. Okay, I, I heard a guy not too long ago, he actually made a video on YouTube that said, we should not study the word of God word by word. It will confuse you. But <laughs> all these words for praise are, are just a, are different. They're not exactly the same. They all have different flavors. It's like saying, do not understand the names of God because it'll confuse you. Because there's Lord, there's Elohim. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna study. What are you saying? Oh sorry, gotcha. The point is, <laughs> okay, so where am I? Oh, verse two, the Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He tell, telleth the number of the stars. He calls them all by their names. Great is our Lord. And that's Adon, a, um, I guess a version of Adonai. And of great power. His understanding is infinite. This is just interesting. The Lord lifts up the meek. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. Who covereth the heaven with clouds. Who prepareth rain for the earth. Who makes grass to grow upon the mountains. He gives to the he give to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry he delights not in the strength of the horse he takes not pleasure in the legs of a man oh my gosh the lord takes pleasure to them that fear him in those that hope in his mercy this psalm was written when when israel returned to jerusalem I don't think I figured out who wrote it. I don't think I was paying attention enough. Sorry. But this is this is a, a like a joyful, yay, raw. But the la that last verse in verse 10, it says that Jehovah takes pleasure in them that fear him. That's the word Yare. In those that hope in his mercy. 
those that have their eyes fixed on what God is depositing at the right hand of the Lord, but what God is depositing in our heart to believe for. And we understand the mercies part, that it's that the directive from the Father, the, the, the strategies from the Father about what's going on, and, and it's completely filled with his purpose. I don't think I did a good job describing that. Go ahead, Vicki. She does it so much better sometimes. Well, it's interesting. There's that word fear again. About yep. God keeps bringing this up just very recently now because of um, not... Not that we don't, but that he's manifesting that, I think, like happened over in Brazil, where there's this literally trembling going on because his his he of the way he's moving amongst the people. Um but Speak anyway. Up, woman. I thought I was. I'm holding this thing as close as I can without eating. I don't know, it. but your voice is very good. So <laughs> it's the Lord, that's Jehovah, so that's always representing his plans, plans and purpose. purpose. Yes. So his plans and purpose are what takes pleasure or what even accepts that that's they ex- his plan and purpose is always going to accept that person that fears that fears him and that functions in that expectation of his directives and strategy right amen for sure i mean i know we talk a lot about david but when i look at the psalms and i'm not sure he wrote this one but when i look at the stuff i'm like that guy had it going on you have it going on too <laughs> You all should see his face, but I think you all can imagine. Um, you know, it's, again, an amazing declaration by, by, by whoever wrote this in the return to Jerusalem. It was like a promise being fulfilled. And again, it's going to happen again and again and again. You know, Jerusalem is a representation, but it is actually a city. I get it. It's a place where God dwells. I get it. But he doesn't just dwell in Jerusalem. I get that too. Are we on the last scripture now? Did I make it, Vicki? Lamentations. We are not consumed. It is of the Lord's mercies, God's plans and purpose, mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. How many times have we sung this or saw this or read this and said, oh, yay. Boy, it's a lot deeper than, oh, yay. Because the Lord's plans and purpose, his directives, his strategies for us to use as his sons, we will not be consumed. We will not be overtaken. We will not be, hmm, it is the word complete, but go ahead. I just, I just think that means that his directives and strategies of his plan are going to be going on and on and on. Even after we die in eternity, he's still, it may not be to overcome the enemy because that will already have happened. Mm-hmm. But as we've talked about before, there's going to be new creative measures of things that he's doing for eternity. And his mercies are still going to be at work there. Yep. We're, st- we're still going to need his directive. We're still going to need his strategies. Again, maybe not to apply to enemy things, but to create whatever it is that he's forming. Right. And that word compassions is the other word that we use for mercy throughout scripture. Racham. <laughs> Sorry. I don't have enough spit to say it right. Just saying. <laughs> no raincoat needed. Great is thy faithfulness. That, yeah. Yeah, that word compassion's kind of roots back too. It has an element of the bowels or that inner part, that really deep place that mm-hmm. God's established in it, yep. in us, and that that deep place in God never fails. Mm, that's right. And great is his faithfulness, firmness, place we can stand, that steadfastness, that where we know what God says is going to be, like with my mom, I don't know how y'all were praying, but with my mom, I knew. I knew it's not time, but I just knew everything was going to be okay. Great is God's faithfulness. Great are his mercies for his sons, those that love him 
and follow his commandments, that love him and keep his commandments. And I'm not just talking about the 10, you understand that. But you can see throughout scripture how God just lays that out for all of us. It's great. Okay, Father, thank you for your word and for your loving kindness. And thank you for the release of this word in our hearts and our minds. Father, I declare over all the saints network, over all people that love the Lord and keep his commands, your loving kindness. Let it be real, more real than it has been so far that we will understand, that we understand that it will fail not. It's unfailing agape, unfailing love. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.